Well, good morning again. Take your Bible this morning, turn to the third chapter of Galatians. Galatians is about halfway through your New Testament, and we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. We are in a new teaching series called Grounded, but really it's an extension of what we've been dealing with for the last few weeks. We started a teaching series called Freedom several weeks ago. I see a lot of fans going. I think our heat is on because they were really cold in the first service, so uh, we'll, we'll correct that in a few moments. Travis, if you can correct that. We have these neat little devices now that, that control everything, isn't it? Cool. So anyway, Grounded is uh, part two of this teaching series in Galatians. And what we're basically doing is the first part of Galatians was focused on how we find our freedom in Christ. And then it transitions on how we ground ourselves in Christ. And basically it's the theological component of the book. And so we're going to wrestle with that for the next few weeks, how we specifically apply that as a, as a church. But if you missed anything in this last teaching series, I want to give you a couple of truths. And the first one is this, the church of Galatia was planted by the apostle Paul, and after he left that church to go plant other churches, he set up the leadership, but people who were false teachers crept into that church and infected it in some powerful ways, and they begin to buy into this whole concept that basically it was Jesus plus something is how you get to heaven. But we know that the gospel says that Jesus plus nothing is what? Everything. And so, as these folks in Galatia was re- were rescued from a whole concept of working for their salvation, the gospel comes and rescues them again. And the Paul, as, he's in, as these false teachers infect the church, the Apostle Paul combats that in his writing. And so what we've learned is just, just that truth, and then this massive truth is simply this, is that through Christ we're justified, meaning we're placed in right standing with God. We move from a position of opposition in Christ to a position of acceptance in Christ. That's what it means to be justified. Nothing you can do to, is to get God to love you more. He loves you just the same when Christ is in your heart, uh, regardless if you're in sin or you're in church. But so many times we buy into and we allow these false teachings to creep into our minds that we need to work for that relationship, but we don't. Now, we live a holy life because of that relationship, but we don't have to work to get God to love us. And so part two of Galatians really deals with how we stay grounded when these attacks come. Because if you're like me, I bet each and every one of us in this room, we're attacked spiritually. Agreed? And the thing that's happening in the church of Galatia is not that they weren't grounded because they didn't have a high IQ, is that they lacked spiritual discernment. They lacked the ability to understand when these attacks are coming. They lacked the ability to understand what was true and what was not true, what was of God and what was not of God. And so many of us struggle with that in so many different ways. Several years ago, for Christmas, our kids were like three or four years old, and we decided to purchase them a trampoline because everyone needs a trampoline in their house to put fear into the parents to make sure their children aren't doing anything they shouldn't do, right? Because that's what they want. They want to bounce and turn flips and all that stuff. So we made a big deal out of it. We put the trampoline together on Christmas Eve. I'll never forget it snowed that night, and so we're, it's very difficult to put anything together in the snow, especially in Georgia when we have to have milk and bread. That's the most important thing. And so uh, we're putting this trampoline together in the snow. Next morning we set it up. We had a ribbon tied to the trampoline. We ran it all the way around our house and put it somewhere in the house. And we said, hey, follow the ribbon. You'll find your present. It was a really cool thing. The kids ran around the house and they found it. And it was a big trampoline. And, of course, we want to be safety people. So we have the net that our children eventually are going to play Spider-Man on and grab hold and pull down anyway. But we have that, right? And so we got the trampoline. um, And not too long after that, we switched our insurance company. The insurance company guy comes out for our homeowners and says, look, your, your trampoline has to be anchored. Now, 
I grew up in a day and age where they put the baby in the back part of the car. Not the back seat, but the back part of the car. Y'all know what I'm talking about? To where your mom was just good. If you stop real fast, she's like, catches it. You know, and it's just, so safety features for me are abnormality. I grew up, I had a rectangular trampoline. It was made out of iron pipe. And my mom put like a towel on like a one foot section and said, be careful. You know, but we've got nets around ours, and my insurance guy says, you have to anchor this thing now. And so I anchored it, and everything was good, but until we decided to move. And when we moved our trampoline to our new home, uh, it was a really redneck experience. Some of you helped me move. We propped it on top of my truck, so I didn't want to take it apart, and bounced about three and a half miles. All, it was great. And we set it out in the new yard. I forgot to anchor it, and then one blustery day comes. And blustery day is something I got from Winnie the Pooh. So this blustery day occurs, really windy. I'm looking outside my back door, and I see the trampoline is no longer in my backyard, but has blown 100 yards behind my house, twisted and deformed. My kids are still figuring out how to jump on it. I don't know how, but it completely ruined the thing, completely. Now, why don't I tell you this story? When the winds of life and the storms of life arise, arrive in your life, you'll find out if you're grounded or not, right? When life happens, when you're attacked personally, attacked spiritually, whether you're anchored or not is going to reveal itself. And so many times when we are attacked, we do anchor ourselves. We do go deeper in our faith. But what's happening in Galatia is it's a church that understood church attendance. It's a church that understood going to Sunday school or a life group. It's a church that understood morality. But it's not a church that understood what it meant to get deep into God's Word. It's not a church that understood what it meant to grab those huge theological truths that the Scripture gives us and cling to them because when attacks came, false teaching came, they snuck into the church and tore it apart. And many times in our own lives, as we face those high winds of life, it tears us apart, right? Because we're not grounded. So how do we become grounded? Well, I believe the first step is this, is we have to learn to be a discerner. Grounded people become discerners. And what I mean by discernment or discerners, is they understand what's right and what's wrong. They're able to look over the landscape of life and understand, hey, this is of God, this is not of God. This is how I build my house, like Matthew 7 talks about. Jesus said, build your house on a solid foundation, not shifting sand, right? How do we become that discerner? How do we become those people that understand this is of God, this is truth, this is a lie, these are attacks, this is false teaching. How do we discern, hey, this should be in my home, this program is not appropriate, this music is not where I need to be, or this one's okay, because there's a fine line many times, and the reality is we can become very legalistic and say the world can't come in here at all. Then we lose touch and don't understand really what God can redeem and what He can't redeem. And so let's begin to focus on this, and let's dive into Scripture, Galatians chapter 3, and notice what happens here. Now remember, the last time we preached in Galatians chapter 2, he lays out a foundational truth saying you are justified. You are in right standing. It's Jesus plus nothing equals what, church? Everything. And so you got to get this. And the church of Galatia has to conceptualize and understand and cling to this idea that even though they're attacked, even though they're buying into false teaching, they need to go back to the reality that it's not by works that a person gets to heaven. You can't walk enough old ladies across the street, guys. You can't let people cut in line and line in front of you enough at Walmart. It's just Jesus, okay? It's just Him. You're in right standing because of what Christ has done. And so, reminding ourselves of that in chapter 2, he goes to chapter 3 and says this in verse 1, and it's a very intense passage. Notice it says, you foolish Galatians. And basically, if we could redneck that up, he's saying, y'all are a bunch of idiots. 
You guys, you've got this huge foundational element of freedom in your life. It's Jesus plus nothing is everything, but you bought in this truth that, hey, you've got to do something more to get God to love you more. And that is just not biblically accurate. That's not the gospel. But if you're like me, I bought into that before, right? You've got to do this stuff. But notice what he says next. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That word bewitched means who's cast a spell on you? Who has changed your gaze in life and fixated on something different? What's happened? Who bewitched you? What idolatry have you bought into now? It's a great question to ask ourselves. Let's keep rolling. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, meaning you know truth. This is truth, that it's Jesus. That's all you need. He was crucified to take the punishment you deserve. He paid the price so you don't have to work anymore. That is truth. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. And he asked him a question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Meaning, did you come to Christ because of your effort or because of your belief? That's a good question to ask ourselves, right? Did you come to Christ? Are you following Christ based upon your effort or by because what Christ did and continues to do? Now read next. Are you so foolish After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And what he's saying here, the first question was, did you come to Christ by effort or by believing? And the answer is believing, right? And then the second question he asks is, are you going to continue in your faith by your effort and doing it on your own? Or are you going to do it with the power of God behind you? And the answer is the power of God behind you, right? I'm an independent dude. I I like to pull myself up by my bootstraps and move forward. I like to push through things. Are y'all like that? You know what I'm saying? No one likes to ask for help. Agreed? But here's the deal. In the spiritual economy that Christ sets up, not only does he offer the help, he requires his help. He requires you to say, you have to do this in me. Now, continue to read. Notice what happens. Verse 4. Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Meaning, did you earn it? Or by your believing what you heard? And then finally, he says, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, what do we do with this? Because through this text here, and this is a short passage and we're going to be out here kind of quick this morning. He really is hammering in on the church of Galatia saying, look, you've been bewitched. You've been cast in a spell. You've become an idiot in your faith because you've allowed these distractions, you've allowed these things in life begin to really tear you apart and bought into some false teaching. You're not discerning. And remember what I said. The church of Galatia wasn't stupid. It wasn't based on IQ. It was based 100% on spiritual discernment. And it's not based on IQ that we fail in our faith. It's not based on our church attendance that we fail in our faith. That might be part of it. It's based upon the ability to discern what is of God and what is not of God. So how do we become spiritual discerners? Well, the first one is simply this. Discerners are diligent. Discerners have to be learned to become diligent in their faith. Now, what does that mean? Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, stop there. The question we have to ask ourselves in Winder this morning is this. What bewitches us? Make sense? What do we get fixated on 
that's not of God. What casts a spell, quote, spell, that keeps us from pursuing Christ the way we should? Make sense? Because the thing is, spiritual discerners learn to be diligent in the sense that they begin to recognize what is of God and what is not of God, and they run from the things that's not of God. Diligently seeking God, diligently staying away from the things that aren't of God. The thing that happened in Galatia was that they didn't become diligent in their church, and when false teachers crept in, they said, that sounds like a great idea, you know? It's kind of like the famous last words of a redneck. Hey, watch this, you know? (laughs) Spiritual discerners have to become diligent in their faith, constantly looking out for what's coming in and really what's going out as well. I lived in Waynesboro, Georgia. I told you this story before. It's the first church I served full-time. And uh, the county that we lived in, Burke County, Georgia, borders the Savannah River. So right across Savannah River is obviously South Carolina. Now, in that county, there's a nuclear power plant. And when you got to the highest point in the middle of town, it was kind of odd sometimes. You'd see these huge smokestacks, and all I could think of was the Simpsons and radioactive craziness. You know what I mean? It was just, like, weird. And so uh, right across from this and all of their intellectual prestige the government put a nuclear power plant right across the river was what they call the Savannah River site. Now, the Savannah River site was on the South Carolina side. The nuclear plant was on the Georgia side, and I never went near either one of them if I could help it. The Savannah River site was basically, in the 1950s, the government put it there to uh, develop or, or hash out or begin to display or mechanize. I don't know. Anyway, they made nuclear stuff, which basically meant it was a bomb-making factory. It was a little weird, all right? Knowing that I had a nuclear power plant in my county and right across the river they made bombs was a little disconcerting, okay? Now, this acreage where they made all the bombs, there was actually a public highway that went through it, Highway 125 in South Carolina. And up until 2006, if you decided you needed to take Highway 125, you would come to the Savannah River site and you'd have a checkpoint there with these guys with machine guns. And they would tell you this, look, you have 10 minutes to get to the next checkpoint. If you make it before 10 minutes, you get a speeding ticket. If you make it less than 10 minutes, we will come find you. If you show up less than 10 minutes, we will detain you, question you, and search your person and your car. If you get a flat tire and you break down, stay in your car. Do not get out. We will send someone to get you. That just freaked me out a little bit, all right? But here's the deal. This is why I tell you this story is that when people are making bombs, you want the security guys to be diligent. Agreed? Because if somebody comes in there, they can raise havoc. And in your spiritual journey, you and I need to be diligent as well. We need to to treat it as a bomb-making factory in a sense. We need to treat it in such a way that this is fragile spiritual material, and we don't want things of God to come in. So here's the deal. In order to become spiritual discerners, we have to be diligent about what's coming in. We have to be diligent about what comes in and attacks us or what we allow into the safety zone of our spiritual development. Discerners are diligent. But here's the second thing. Discerners are learners. Discerners are learners. Notice what it says. Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 1. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But I want you to get this second part. Before you, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And what he's saying here, and he's given this huge theological truth, he's saying this, is that it's not by your works that you come to Christ. It's before your very eyes, 
Christ was crucified so that you don't have to pay the price. Christ was crucified so that you don't have to work anymore. Christ was crucified so that you don't have to be punished for your shortcomings. And the more you learn about that, the more discerning you become. Discerners are learners. Here's the question. What are you learning spiritually? You see, churches are filled with people, and and I can be one of them at times, that have made an initial decision to follow Jesus, but because learning is something that's not a valuable thing to them, they don't progress in their spiritual journey. And therefore, if they're not progressing in their spiritual journey by learning more about the application and knowing of God's Word, the easily they are attacked. Does that make sense? The easily... The, the easier it is for false teachings to infect the church and the individual and even the family. Discerners are learners. Grabbing hold of those spiritual truths. The gospel message in this, in chapter 3, verse 1, is that it is just Jesus. And the church of Galatia floated away from that massive truth that you don't have to do anything to get God to love you more. They didn't cling to that reality that it is Jesus plus nothing is everything. That they are justified in their faith, not by works, but by grace through faith alone. And so many of us float away from a gospel lifestyle and a gospel centeredness and a Christocentric idea of living because we forget to learn. Guys, don't forget to learn. Somebody asked me one time, uh, or somebody, I heard the conversation, is that, what happens when you learn all you can about God? And the answer is you become God. <laughs> you can never exhaustively investigate the person of God and even Scripture itself. Learn. Grow in your relationship with Christ. Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27 talks about the wise builders. One built his house on the shifting sand, and when the storms came, it knocked the house down. I've heard the story, right? The other one built it upon the bedrock, and when the storms came, the house stayed firm. And the reality is, is that you learn to build your house on foundation when you're growing and learning and, and seeking Scripture and seeking God. Discerners are learners. You understand what is truth and what is not truth. You understand what is of God and what is not of God. And you're able to combat and walk away from the things that are not of God. Discerners are learning. What are you learning? The last thing is this. Discerners are devoted. Now, let's go, let's go here in this text. And we're, going to have to, we're going to have to squeeze blood out of a turnip for a moment, but I love this. Because if you skip down to chapter, chapter 3, skip down to verse 6, Paul does something really cool here because in chapter 3, he's basically providing five arguments for justification. And so we're going to drift into the second argument this morning and then come back and pick it up next week. But I want you to notice what he does. It's just incredible. He said in verse 6, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now stop here. Now, the Judaizers who were the false teachers that crept into the church of Galatia, spreading all types of false teaching, they come into this congregation and basically tell them, in order to follow Jesus, you need to be circumcised. In order to follow Jesus, you need to follow through in what the Jewish law says, even though you're Gentiles. In order to get to heaven, you've got to do these things. And so they're basing everything that they're teaching falsely to the church of Galatia, 
on Moses and all of his teaching in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, those first four or five books of the Old Testament. Now, the interesting thing, when Moses read, wrote all that stuff, it was to point to the fact that one day there'd be a Messiah when they wouldn't have to do all those things, and that Messiah is Jesus. But for some reason, the Judaizers didn't believe that. They didn't buy into that and said, you still... And look, there's still people that call themselves Christians today that I even know that say, hey, we have to never eat pork. Uh, we have to follow all these Jewish customs, but yet we'd be Christians at the same time. That's just not accurate. It's grace by your when you're, It's by grace that you're saved. And so, as Paul listens to these arguments, he says, well, I got one better. You talk about Moses, I'm going to go back to the person that started Judaism. Let's go to Abraham, the guy that was way before Moses. And he makes this statement, Abraham, who started all this, believed God, verse 6, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he makes the point here is this, Abraham's not going to heaven because he followed God's rules. Abraham goes to heaven because he believed, and that was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Abraham was devoted. He was devoted to something far bigger than law. He was devoted to far something, something far bigger than works. And hear me on this. Devote yourself to doing good works, but don't devote your entire understanding of Scripture and understanding of, of, of loving God and your understanding of religion based on works. You base it on Christ because here's the reality. Your works are going to fail you. Agreed? We're in a political climate right now to where a year ago we're saying, look what this politician did, and six months later, and we go, look what that politician did, right? Works only last a moment, but Christ lasts forever. Discerners become devoted to something that is eternal. What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? You see, like I said before, the reason Galatia fell, the reason Galatia bought into false teaching was not because of IQ, it was because of spiritual discernment. And many of us, including myself, at times lack spiritual discernment. But listen, discernment means you have to be diligent in casting out the things that are not of God. You have to be learning what is not of God and what is of God. And you have to be devoted to something bigger than yourself. You have to be devoted to something of Christ to become Christocentric. Are you a discerner? Are you growing in discernment? But the natural question is, what do I do, right? How to become more discerning? Let me give you three action steps to take and we'll get out of here. First of all, you have to place yourself in an environment of change. You have to place yourself in an environment of change. The reason most of us don't change in our relationship with Christ are because of influences in our life that are not of God. They may be good influences. In fact, they may be long-term influences. But many times we have to place ourselves in an environment of change so that we can grow so that we can become diligent, so that we can protect our own spirituality. I, I have chickens. Don't judge me, okay? I told you about my chickens before. And uh, we raised them from babies. Uh, we had a group one time, and then we moved and had to get rid of them. Now we have another. We, we bought six, and uh, my dog ate two, a hawk ate another, and the other one disappeared. I have no idea. So I have two chickens left, okay? I don't even know their names. One and two, all right? Um, spotted egg chicken and the regular egg. I don't know. It's just I don't even name them. But um, the thing is, when you buy these little baby chickens, and we, you would think you'd buy a chicken at the chicken store, uh, but you can go to the hardware store. So I bought them at the hardware store, and it's, my wife gets mad. You know, I've got five chickens. Look at this, honey. Neat. Okay, so 
when you bring these baby chicks home, you can't just let them loose in the yard, right? Let's just, this is an elementary illustration, so hang with me on this one. You can't let them loose in the yard because something will eat them, something will carry them away. They can't protect themselves, and it's not warm enough. You have to put them in an environment where they're under a heat lamp. You have to put them in an environment where they're protected. You have to put them in an environment where they're fed and they're watered. If you don't, if you're not diligent, that little infant collapses. If you're not diligent in your spirituality, especially when you're a new believer or a non-growing believer, it collapses, guys. Place yourself in an environment for change. Part two in your action step, not only place ourselves in an environment for change, place yourself in an environment for growth. Place yourself in an environment for growth. Put yourself in a position to where you learn and grow in Scripture. Put yourself in a position to where you're taking the time to get in the Word. Learn how to deal with it. Learn how to maneuver through it. We have plenty of opportunities to do that here, but I want to point out one thing. So many times, and even I've said this, is like, I'm not sure about this small group. I'm not sure about this church. I'm not sure about this conference. I'm not sure about these people because I just don't feel like I'm getting fed. Have you ever heard people say that? At the end of the day, guys, the person responsible for Chip Wheeler getting fed is who? The person responsible for you getting fed is not Chip Wheeler. (laughs) It's you. It's you. That's a huge responsibility to take. But to grow spiritually, you have to place yourself in an environment of growth. How are you growing? Have you taken the steps necessary to do that? And lastly is this. Place yourself in Christ. You can't be a spiritual discerning person if you don't know Jesus. You have to ask Christ to come into your life. And if you've never taken that step to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life, forgive me for what I've done, do, and will do, today is the day you take that next step. And on the back of the Connect card you were given, there's a couple of options and boxes on the back that says, that today for the first time I asked Christ to come into my life. But the second box says, today uh, I want more information about Christ so I can understand him. And the third box says, I want to be baptized. We baptized in our first service this morning. It was a beautiful thing. It demonstrates that a person is a Christian. They publicly go forward and saying, I'm a Christian. But listen to me. If you're going to be a spiritual discerner, you need to be in Jesus. If you are in Jesus, you need to place yourself in a position to change so you can be diligent. And if you are in Jesus, you need to just place yourself in a position to grow spiritually so you can learn. Put yourself in that type of environment. This past week, and I've got permission from the family, we... we uh, uh, Buried a young man yesterday, and as the family walked in, uh, one of the most beautiful things happened as a pastor, and I was very thankful for it. As the family walked in, typically in a funeral, the family walks in, and they file in and sit down, but the line just kept coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And the family sat down, but a part of that family, they invited their life group to be a part of the family sitting down together. Because what's so cool about it is when they didn't feel anchored, their life group was around them to anchor them down, to minister to them. That life group was just as much as a family as the family that was there that was grieving. And why do I say that story? And it's not to bring up more emotions, that's for sure. It's to tell the, rea- tell the truth that if, if you're not in a group of people who's going to help anchor you and help grow you and help foster support when you need it, today's the day, right, guys, that you get in it. In the middle of your worship folder, there's a little sheet there that says, I want more information about a life group. But place yourself in an environment of change. Place yourself in an environment for growth. 
and place yourself in Christ if you haven't already. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Help us become discerners. Help us to become people who know you and grow in you. Help us to understand what it means to change and what it means to grow. And I ask God that in these moments that you would change us. I ask God in these moments that you would help us seek you. And that God, in every way and in every form, that you would take our lives and give us the strength that we need to discern what is of you and what is not of you. Whatever is bewitching us, whatever is causing us to stumble, God, strengthen us to cling to the gospel and ground us in your truth. I pray for each person here that as we leave these doors in just a few moments that we would live with a more fervent spirituality than we had before. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.